If you grab your Bibles with me this morning, church, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, uh, we make our way to the final portion of chapter one. If you're new or visiting, then uh, you're catching us in a great season, the life of our church. We really love to preach through God's word faithfully that we would understand it and know our Lord all the more. And it's a sweet testimony to hear how many of you are growing in your knowledge of God and your faith in him, the equipping that that's doing in our lives and our marriages and our kids um, and our witness to the city and the community that we're in in this time and day that God has given us. Last week, we read the testimony of Zechariah and the events surrounding the birth of his son. Phenomenal miracle of God to cause his wife Elizabeth to become pregnant after a lifetime of barrenness, even in their elderly age, to conceive and successfully bear that child to give birth to John, the forerunner of Christ. Um, the Lord graciously in that occasion of the birth of John lifted the discipline that was put on Zechariah for his lacking faith at the news of what was going to happen. Um, his discipline was that he was unable to speak for the duration of that pregnancy and all the consequences that would come from that. And with the lifting of that, um, the loosening of his tongue, the first words to burst out of his mouth were a blessing to God. And today we um, will begin what will be at least a two-part focus of this uh, extended praise of Zechariah to the Lord. It's contained uh, here in the final portion of, of chapter 1 that we see in verse 67 through 80. Um, this text, this, this song, this prophecy that we're about to study has become known as the Benedictus of Zechariah uh, because the Latin word for blessed is Benedictus. Um, it is Zechariah's blessing to God. It is his song to God, his worship to the Lord. Uh, one of the markers of God's people throughout history is our expressions of joy and gratitude and praise to God. It's a response to his hand at work, his grace, his mercy, his provisions, especially in the form of song. And so we see that in places like Psalm 511, let us... Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Sometimes we can struggle to well up with joy. And I love the simplicity of this verse that if I am taking refuge in the Lord, which I am in my salvation and his provision for me, that I have great reason to sing to sing for joy. The psalmist says in, verse, in chapter 13, verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Holy Scriptures record the history of God's people ringing out in praise for who he is and what he has done. The Israelites praised God after he delivered them from the Egyptians through the Red Sea. Deborah and Barak sang of God's deliverance of his people from the Canaanite armies. Hannah sang praise to the Lord for granting her a child following a lifetime of barrenness. The Psalms are filled with songs of praise for God's attributes, his will, his ways. Church, in just the first chapter of Luke, 
a gospel we're pretty familiar with. If you've been around the church for any length of time, see with me three very distinct outbursts of praise to the Lord. Elizabeth praised him in verse 41 through 45. Mary praised him in verse 46 through 55. Now Zechariah praises him in verse 67 and beyond. To set the table, just listen to the opening two verses of our passage. Luke 1, 67 and 68. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. Notice that Zechariah is noted to be filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. This means his song of praise is also considered an ordained revelation of the Lord, full of God's good truth. Zechariah is a faithful servant of the Lord. And one of a select few priests in that day to serve in the temple and the pretty special ways assigned to him. And in these following verses, we get to hear the prophetic words of this faithful man, blessed with the Holy Spirit, speak God's truths. Mary's song was gratitude for God's hand of mercy on her and God's people. Zachariah's prophecy and song is praise for God's hand in promising and then faithfully providing a Messiah for his beloved people. We get to really start to turn our attention now very specifically to the Messiah as we ready ourselves for chapter 2, the birth of Christ. Zechariah. Some words here are um, a reflection of, of the Old Testament expressions of the long-awaited Son of David, Jesus Christ, and the prophet who would precede him, his very own son now, John. Zechariah has a son. And the Lord is doing great things in his midst. Church, slow with me just to observe that very great and simple truth right there. Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, given divine confirmation, affirmation that God's plan of salvation is being put into conclusive motion. Beloved church family, there is so much that we can glean from this sweet revelation of praise. Personally, I love that Zechariah burst out in praise for the Lord as soon as he can speak. Think about that with me. For a better part of a year, he's been stricken by the Lord to not speak. And now that John is born, God has removed his hold on Zechariah's tongue. And Zechariah can't help but sing out who God is and what he is doing. The promises of God are, are coming to fruition right in front of his eyes. And they are ecstatic. The, the best, uh, to best appreciate it, we, we who have such a rich and, and full view of the gospel of our Lord Jesus on this side of the cross and all the sweet revelation of the New Testament, we have such a rich and full view of the gospel. We have to slow to realize that these faithful brothers and sisters that we're reading about here prior to the cross 
on, on, the, on the eve of these amazing events, as, as the sun is about to come, that they only had a dim, they had an imperfect view of the gospel before Christ appeared. And the fulfillment of these promises of God for salvation for all of his beloved elect. And so this helps us to see the, the power and the work of the Spirit in these words of praise that Zachariah sings out in our text because they truly are the words of God and the wondrous works of God in all these things. Church, as we delve into this marvelous prophecy, see with me that the types and the shadows are fading to the background and the sun is breaking over the horizon to reveal the antitype, Jesus himself. Everything is pointed to him, and he is here. He's on the scene. He's in the womb of Mary. Think about all that you know about what Christ has done, and the fact that Zechariah doesn't fully know yet. But what he does know is the promises of God and what the Holy Spirit is revealing to him in this time about these things that are about to happen. And even with that, he is so overwhelmed with praise. Church, my prayer is that we too, we too, would learn to rest on the promises of God. With such vigor, and joy as we see Zechariah do here. May it compel us, brothers and sisters, to testify, to sing of all that our great God is and has done. Let's read the, this song of praise and prophecy in its entirety to launch our time this morning and in the weeks to come. And then we'll dive into it in a deeper way. Church, as I read... Hear it, savor it with me. Join me in praising our good God. Luke chapter 1, 67 through 80. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him, all our days, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. He was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. 
word of our Lord and our focus this morning and the following weeks to come. Pray with me, church. Father, we thank you for your good word. We thank you for your provision that we would have it. There's people around the world who do not possess your written word and their language. We have it. Know what a blessing it is to know your will and ways to study your good word. All the things calling for our attention, all the modern day uh, temporal happenings of our day, the, the, the things that, that busy our minds and, and cloud our emotions, Lord, uh, the realities of this life are just swirling all the time. And I just pray that times like this where we just slow down, shut it down, to look to your word, that it would just be a light coming on, a clarity, a, a lighting of our path forward. You would bless us and embolden us and, and move us to bring real conviction of sin and, and genuine repentance of faithfulness. The, the um, growing emergence of active faith in you, the removal of doubt, fear of temporary things and a righteous fear of you lord do this work in us stir us with a authentic joy for who you are and what you've done to well us up with a testimony of high praise we love you god we pray confidently in christ amen Verse 67 and 68, his father Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Zechariah is singing. He's singing blessing to God. He's giving honor and praise to God. And when he says that God has visited and redeemed his people, he, he's pointing us back and he's pointing forward. It points us to God's covenantal hand and deliverance of Israel in the Old Covenant in the past. And it points us to the fact that the Messiah is conceived. He's on the scene. He's in Mary's womb. Therefore, has visited, has arrived to redeem his people in the future. The active hand of the sovereign God is being praised we know the visitation of the promised Messiah is the focus here. The same word is used in verse, that's used here in 78 verse, um, I'm sorry, verse 68 is we see later in Luke 7, 16, fear seized them all and they glorified God saying a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. I want us not to miss the depth of Zechariah and what he's marveling at here in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. This is the visitation of the God of Israel, the one true God of all creation. In other words, the one who is most high has come low in great and merciful love for us. This is the miraculous and glorious testimony that points to the incarnation of Jesus to take on flesh. Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 14 says so beautifully and simply the word, speaking of God the Son, 
became flesh. He dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The wonderful precursor to what we're about to study in chapter 2, church, as we look to the, the birth of the Messiah, the Advent Right, I'm excited about our time in Luke this Christmas in particular and um, the ways in which it will embolden our worship of him in this season and beyond. Church, the incarnation of Jesus is truly a historical marvel. It is worthy of great and enduring adoration and praise to God. Zechariah not only says that God has visited but that he redeems his people. The question is, what kind of redemption is he coming to bring? I think many of the Jews of Jesus' day surely struggled in the midst of their daily oppression, persecution, physical, mental, social struggles, economic struggles, political struggles. To see the extent of Christ's deliverance, his redemption, as political and physical, as opposed to what is spiritual and eternal. Because Zachariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, we know that the redemption he's speaking of is not just that which would last a moment or a season or even a lifetime, but is a true and final redemption, a greater redemption than anything we might be granted in a moment. Paul says it this way in his letter to the Galatians, Galatians 4, 4 and 5, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The fact is, all humans born in the seed of man are born under God's moral law, and therefore we are in need of a human being to redeem the human race, those who are of God's chosen people, who are under that same moral law. Only Jesus and the flesh could perfectly keep the law, perfectly fulfill the law, thereby redeeming His people from our disobedience. 1 John 4.10, And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. God sent His Son. That's the incarnation. That's the visitation to die in our place so that He could satisfy the wrath of God that's due our sin. If you can hear my voice today, you need to hear this most clearly because your sin is real. God's judgment is real. And the cross of Jesus is real. Jesus had to take on flesh because God established the necessity of the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. And in all the types and shadows of that system were incomplete, pointing to the one who could and finally shed his own blood, his perfect and holy blood, on our behalf. 
for our redemption. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, sacrificed his human life and shed his human blood to cover the sins of all whom God would save. Based on his grace, not our work, not our performance, but on his grace, based on his mercy, based on his will to execute his gift of salvation. Zechariah is going to return to this later in his song, and so we'll go further then. But look with me for now at verse 69. So he continues his point. He says, And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This term, horn of salvation, is unique, right? Not common language for us, but it is a term that's used throughout the scriptures in that day. It denotes power and strength. It's applied to the royal descendant of King David here. This imagery is reoccurring in the Old Testament. It depicts animals of great strength who use their horns in battle successfully. The often imagery we see is that of an ox with horns that is able to defeat enemies with a powerful thrust of his head. This is where we get our modern day phrase, strong as an ox. We see this in places like Deuteronomy 33:17, a firstborn bull, he has majesty, and his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples, all of them, to the ends of the earth. The term horn of salvation is also used to describe God's strength and power in places like 2 Samuel 22, 2 and 3. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. See very similar language in what Zechariah just sang out about God's visitation, his redemption. Verse 3 continues, My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Praise God. Praise God for his horn of salvation. He has raised up a horn of salvation. For us, in the house of his servant David. Zechariah is saying, from the house of David will come the Messiah. Church, this was what the generations of God's people were waiting for. We see it talked about, we see it sung about in many texts. To just mention a few, King David speaks of this in Psalm 89, 17-24. For you are the glory of their strength, and by your favor horn is exalted our horn is exalted for our shield belongs to the lord our king to the holy one of israel of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said i have granted help to one who is mighty i have exalted one chosen from the people i have found david my servant with my holy oil i have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him my arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked 
shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. This was sung about in Psalm 132, 17. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame. But on him, his crown will shine. Church, just as we spent time celebrating in last week's sermon, God is absolutely perfect in his fulfillment of all of his promises. And just as the faithful trusted that God would deliver from the house of David, we too need to trust that God will do all that he has promised. That it will be done. Not maybe, not partly, it will be perfectly done. Despite how bad things get, despite how hopeless it may seem, God is fulfilling all of his promises. Zechariah is laying claim to this thing that they've heard, the promises. It is happening. The horn of salvation is here in the house of David. Zechariah builds on this point, highlight the promises of God through the prophets, what that's meant for the people, why it's worthy of praise. He says in verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. This is similar to the way Mary spoke, if you remember, church, of God's promises in verse 54 and 55. She said, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Luke mentions this in his second letter called Acts, chapter 3, verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. The fact that God has spoken, the fact that he has revealed what he will do, churches to be of great comfort and worthy of our praise. Especially when we get to be in the position of seeing it unfold as Zechariah is being given. You catch Zechariah's emphasis here in verse 70 that the prophets, God's prophets, are holy prophets. Why is this important? Because they are true prophets as opposed to imposters, as opposed to false prophets. In other words, what they prophesied was true. It, it, it had to be true, or they're not of the Lord. See, a false prophet says, oh, I speak for the Lord, but they don't actually speak for the Lord. What they say is not true. They're liars. And this was a serious thing to the Lord, as it should be to us. I mean, think about that. If someone is going to speak on your behalf, you want to know that they will speak what is true about you and from you and not something they made up or twisted. That's why God said to those who claimed to be his prophets, who were not, they were to be killed. 
Deuteronomy 18.20, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Talk about misrepresentation on the grandest level. And yet, sadly, how often do people claim to be speaking on behalf of the Lord today? Praise God for His will to reveal His word, His will, His ways through the holy prophets. That, that is a blessing. It is to be cherished, and, and, and for us, it's to be cherished here in His Word as we study it, know it, grow in it. Zechariah is rejoicing in this fact. He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old. He continues this point by celebrating what they spoke in particular, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. God has saved the Israelites all throughout their history. And most notably, God saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. But if, but if you're familiar with their ongoing testimony, God saved them for generations in numerous and mighty testimonies and situations and ways. David saying these words in Psalm 18, 17, He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. Well, the Jewish people would greatly struggle to not make the Messiah's arrival about political or physical deliverance once again. The word of the Lord given in prophetic song here is pointing deliverance from spiritual bondage and spiritual enemies unto God's beloved and eternal kingdom. <laughs> If already you might be wrestling this morning with what, what do these things have to do with my life here in Bakersfield 2023? And, and I would just encourage you to not miss the fact that like us who have been given God's holy word to study, to know, to understand, and then to believe by faith, to hope in with great faith, they have had to do that too. And we're seeing the fruit of one who is rejoicing in God's faithfulness. And I, my prayer for you this morning is that it is emboldening to your spirit, to your mind, to your life. Of what the good things that God has given us, promised and done. To It's not a mystery. We're not, we're not trying to wonder, well, is this a good God? Is he able to do these great things in my life? He is. He has. He shall. We'd be emboldened by it. Thank you, Lord, for this gift. Thank you, Lord, for this ministry to us today, no matter where we're at. May it embolden our faith and move us out of the mire and into the light and into bold and joyful testimony of who you are and what you've done. Hear it again, church. We're 71. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Life can be hard in and of itself. 
can be really hard when your enemies are active. Right? When they're criticizing, when they're oppressing, when they're pressing, lying, stirring, full of hatred. But we have to realize that our, our enemies are, are bigger than flesh and blood, bigger than the words of a man or a woman, a relative, a boss, a neighbor. Paul said it so famously in Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. That's a little bigger than your neighbor. <laughs> against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Man, woman, teenager, Son, daughter, why is this important for you in the midst of today, of this day in 2023? Because these are realities that you are in the middle of, whether you want to recognize it or not. God has said clearly, prophets of old, that he will indeed deliver all of his chosen people from every generation, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, from our enemies and from the wrath of God, do our sin. God himself famously declared this to be the case. To claim victory for his beloved. He did it right at the fall of mankind. Grab... Grab your Bible and hold your spot and just flip to the very beginning. It's easy to find the book of Genesis, chapter 3. I'm going to remind you of God's proclamation in this way. When you think about our spiritual enemies, a good place to go is the beginning of that endeavor, of that battle. Genesis 3.15 in response to mankind's selfish and sinful choice to disobey God and choose sin, God responds with this. Speaking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. First, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity here is mutual hatred. It will war, opposition, animosity, war. The enmity here is not between God and Satan. That's not the focus. It's between the woman and Satan. It's not just a hatred and a, and a, um, a way between Eve and Satan, though. It is Adam and Eve representing mankind as our federal head in their choice to sin, thereby bringing sin to all mankind, as Scripture makes clear, the enmity between Satan and mankind is very real. And as a result, mankind would fight sin every day, would have to navigate every day in the presence of Satan's temptations, deceptions. Fathers, you're waking up in the morning realizing that 
There is a battle being waged for your family, for your marriage, for your own mind and life. Mothers, you too. Believers of every age in the room, are you waking up aware of the spiritual battle that you are in? As a result of this fall, mankind would fight sin every day in these ways. This would be our miserable fallen reality. But God speaks of Satan's offspring next and Eve's offspring, saying, between your offspring and her offspring. So not only is the enmity between Satan and mankind, but it would last through the generations. And surely the testimony of mankind's struggle with sin and self and Satan is evident in human history. There's something else going on here. Scriptures show us the need we have for a redeemer, a deliverer, a hero. Because then there is a reality of the fact that we who are in sin are at war with God. There's enmity between us and Him. James 4.4, 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Romans 8.7, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. I would argue that many days, often many days, that's right where our struggle is at. And you're looking to say, how do I get out of this? You need to come back to that point in the road where you started looking to the flesh, the wisdom of your own eyes and your circumstances. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Why, why is my faith in such wreckage? Why am my life so given to these things? It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The good blessings of God's law, the good, the good love of our Lord to, to do what He's given us as we're studying on Wednesdays right now, and the law of the Lord, the blessing that that is. Mankind is surely desperate for a Redeemer to break in, break our shackles to this sin, the rule of Satan in this place, in our lives, to restore our relationship with God so that we are his enemy no more look at what God says next he speaks of a specific person of Adam and Eve's offspring he says he God's declaration against Satan now focuses on a specific person to come an offspring he he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel Let's look at the latter before the former. You shall bruise his heel. The English word bruise here is a soft translation of the Hebrew word, which better translated is to gape. To gape is to break wide open. What happens to your life if your heel is broken wide open? You're in bad shape. You're immobilized. God says that Satan's going to bust open this offspring's heel. Someone is coming, the offspring of mankind, that Satan and his offspring will put the hurt on. Satan will strike him down and bust open his body. 
This is a picture, church, of what will happen to Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Foretold by God in this most amazing single verse of Holy Scripture. But God also says the offspring of man that is coming will bust open Satan's head. He shall bruise your head, gape your head. What happens to a serpent when you break wide open his head? It dies. It's defeated. Church, this little verse in Genesis 3.15 is a game-changing promise of God that God's people have clung to for all, all time. So when you consider the state of mankind and the judgment of God in our sin, when you understand the depth and the length of our judgment and our condition, when you understand that we have no hope for lasting life, for real peace, for joy in our sin, the news of a promised Redeemer, Deliverer, Savior, changes everything. Genesis 3.15 is known as the Proto-Evangelion, the the Greek prefix proto, first, euangelion, gospel, good news. The Christian gospel, known as the good news. The first place we see this gospel pronounced. Of what God and His power and grace will do to reconcile His people to Himself from sin and death. Unto glorious resurrection in Christ our Savior. Zechariah, under the power of the Holy Spirit, is speaking absolute truth here when he says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Oh, see with me, church, that that's bigger than Roman soldiers. That's bigger than, than governmental oppression. That, that's bigger than the mean guy down the street who won't leave you or your family alone. What's absolutely amazing here is He's celebrating the dawn of these things. Later, Paul will declare these truths in a profound way. Colossians 1, 13-14. I love this. He, God, has delivered us, His people, from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We'll come back to this verse in part two. Again, as Zechariah circles back to some poignant things related to these truths. But in the end, I just want us to see the good news of our God who saves us and delivers us from the hand of our enemies. Now, does that mean that our enemies can't hurt us or even kill us in this time and place? It does not. For even God ordained that they would hurt and kill his only begotten son. Think about that. On our behalf. Does it mean that people who hate us can't make our lives pretty miserable? It doesn't. They can. And they will. But we have to never lose sight of the fact that, yes, we are sojourners here. Right? Every, every day that you try to make this place like heaven is going to be a frustrating day. Because it's not. Heaven's, heaven's coming. Feasting at our Lord's table is coming. No more sin or death or pain or fear. It's coming. 
but we are in a battle. This is a battlefield, right? That's why what we're doing is the church. That's why what it means to be the church, to study his word, to, to be serious about being discipled, to making disciples of our children. This is the most important stuff we're doing with these days. Right? Not how much money we're making, not how much vacation time, not, not how well the kids are doing in their sports or in their academics or, or, or whatever other. No, this stuff, the eternal stuff, the spiritual stuff, the laying of those foundations in our own hearts and minds and, and for what that is for those that God's entrusted to us, we're in a battle. So we got to take these things most seriously. This battle is happening in our own bodies, minds, families, and beyond. As we fight the presence of sin, the work of the enemy every day, the opposition is real, and they do not like us who belong to Jesus. Right? We need to kind of stop yelling back at the world to be nice to us. Why? Because Jesus made it really clear John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. I, I don't need peace with the lost world. I don't, I don't need the, um, you know, the, that temporary peace that songs are sung about and beauty queens say they're hoping for. We need peace with God and with each other. How is Zechariah's word that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us good news? How does God save and deliver his elect from our enemies? God's word gives us the answer. So I don't have to tell you, Paul does the most amazing job in Romans 8, 35-39. Just hear it fresh this morning, beloved. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. Christian, this is who you are in Christ. Even though they're killing us, even though we might experience great persecution, starvation, and loss, we're securing God's mighty and eternal grip. And so can I just love you as one of your shepherds to say if you're experiencing some real persecution, some real nakedness, some real oppression, 
Let's not be surprised at that. Let's let's climb into God's truth and his word to realize, okay, Lord, I'm not undone by this. I, all the more, I need, your, I need the, my faith in you. I need the Spirit's work. I need the Word to go to work. And he's given us what we need. Yeah, there's going to be days where you don't feel very delivered. That war is real, and it rages, and it wages. But you are. And His Word is sufficient Grab hold of it, Christian. May we not look back. Oh, how faulty it is when we slow down and just look back. No, let us press on towards the goal to win the prize. Zechariah continues in verse 72, to show mercy, promise to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant. Once again, God's mercy and His covenant keeping are connected. We see this in the Old Testament as well. A few passages to consider that theme of connection. Deuteronomy 7.9 Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. 1 Kings 8.23 Lord O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. God's mercy, church, is so amazing. Not only has He promised it, but He's delivered it, right? We looked at this a few weeks ago, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God... Despite how wicked and worthy of his wrath we are in our sin, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Church, we we deserve God's wrath, but because of God being rich in mercy, he causes many of us to turn from our sin and to fear him rightly, to trust him full of faith, By God's grace and mercy, we're saved. And if you remember, Mary declares God's mercy in her song as well. In verse 50, His mercy is for us who fear Him from generation to generation. Christian, when you're tempted to say, woe is me, downcast is my soul, I I commend you to recall, to recount, to remember the God of mercy. You must know and not lose sight of the great mercy He has shown you. That you are not lacking mercy. But that His mercy would wash over you and it would drown your sorrows and fleshly fears away. One of the great passages I meditate on regularly is the famous words of David in Psalm 23. It's just so simple. It just connects so quickly to say so well that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Though you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So, so yeah, we're delivered from our enemies, but are our enemies also present in this time and place? Yes. That's what David's acknowledging here. The sovereignty of God and the, the ordaining of our days for his high purposes, for his kingdom, for the testimony of the gospel. Yes, our enemies are present. But the same thing that Zechariah is rejoicing in, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, he opens this praise with, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And jumping to verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Remember, church, the promises of the old covenant, which was a covenant of works, ultimately pointed to the fulfillment brought about by Christ in the new covenant, covenant of grace. How better, think about this with me, does God show his mercy on his people than with the victory of Christ for our forever restoration and enjoyment of the Holy God? Yes, he has shown us great mercy. Amen? Praise be to God. And to conclude this morning, catch verse 73 with me. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. In particular, he mentions his covenant made with Abraham. I want to remind you of God's covenant with Abraham. It's made in numerous passages in the Old Testament. But look at the one made in Genesis 12, 1-3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Church God, Zechariah is uniquely considering the promise made to Father Abraham to grant that to us. God's promise is to provide and to bless Abraham. To provide for him and bless him and the many descendants that would be blessed from him. Think, think about what that's like for a man to hear God promise to secure these things for him and his, and his descendants. And think of what it would be like to be one of those descendants who's blessed through and through. Church, we who have been saved by God through faith in Jesus are those descendants. Galatians 3, 13 and 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All of the Old Covenant blessings all point towards and are fulfilled in Christ. In other words, the blessing church has come 
to you and to me in Christ. The blessing's not out there. You're not looking for it. You're not waiting on it. It's here. It's found only in Christ, only in God. We're so blessed. How blessed? Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. John 1.16 For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Some translations say have received one blessing after another. For all who have trusted our life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we've received, we are the possessors of grace upon grace, one blessing after another in Christ. Every spiritual blessing, so many blessings in God, we don't even know what to do with them all, church. We couldn't even name them all if we tried. Or begin to comprehend truly how blessed we are. We're so blessed because of what God has done to send His Son to save us, to redeem us, to secure us, to bless us. Zechariah is rejoicing in these things, the arrival of these things. Church, we are the recipient of these things. If you've trusted your life to Jesus, you belong to Him. You are forgiven and set free to know Him and enjoy Him. If you're yet to trust your life to Jesus, you're still the Lord of your own life. You're still given, enslaved to your sin. Then see the mercy of God. See the grace of God for people who didn't deserve it. Consider these things. That it be God's holy will this day to give you a, the clearest view of that gospel good news. And it would not just be historically good news. It would be good news to your soul. It would change your life to motivate you to literally die to yourself, to live for Him the rest of your days. I can't wait to dive into part two of this with you next week. I want to pause here. I want to celebrate God this morning and close. And I especially want to celebrate His grace, His mercy, and His blessing on us. I want you to remember how close you are to it, church. That you are His covenantal kids. His adopted kids. Zechariah is singing out in great praise to God for all these marvelous things that He has in mercy and grace to make us His. To make us His beloved, precious, blood-pot kids. Pray with me, church, and let's sing about these things. Lord, we thank You for this time in Your Word to slow and consider this amazing ordained part of Holy Scripture, the, the prophecy of Zechariah, the song of celebration, to hallmark, to point out these marvelous truths, Lord, that, that so apply to our lives, that are so present, are, 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 are so very real. I pray that they would just be moving mightily, shaking our faulty foundations that we're trying to stand on, that we're trying to be enriched by, that we're trying to be happy in, an emboldening of faith that just celebrates what it means to be yours. You would just give us a childlike faith again this morning, church, as, as we the church celebrate you, the holy God. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your mercy. 
for your gift of your Son, his visitation, his redemption, for the blessing that we're now a part of, promised to Abraham. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.